Howdy folks, welcome back to Newsprint Commando. Still immersed in our Capital Comics chapter, Badger Volume 1, Issue 3. The story is entitled, The Day the Comics Fell, is what I'm looking at. Cover date of the book is various, depending on where you look. Mike's Amazing World has it as January 1984. The Grain Comics Database has it February 1984 by way of Amazing Heroes issue 37. And the Indicia has it 1983. Now, the way that the books have been falling, I would suggest that 1983 is not correct. More probably January or February 1984 would be when it fell, um, both compared to its previous issue, but also the other issues that Capital Comics have been putting out. The one just prior to this having been, what, Nexus 5? Yeah, it was January 1984. So chances are Badger was either January or February of 84. On the cover, which is brought to us by Steve Rude and Jeff Butler, pencils and inks colored by Les Dorscheid, we have several different images here. We have a headshot of Ham the Weather Wizard in the upper right-hand corner, trailing from above his ear down through the middle of the book and stopping in front of Ham's portrait is a series of lit candles, uh, the final candle being just recently put out and smoke trailing up the page. Why, I'll say here in a minute. On the left-hand side, we have an image of uh, a the torso of Badger breaking several planks, boards, uh, the creator's signatures up here near his arm, and across the middle of the lower portion of the book is a flying kick, uh, probably what, flying heel kick? I don't know. Uh, flying kick by the badger, and his kick has put out the flame on that last candle, which is what's causing the smoke. Editorial inside, eh, nothing really to glean from that, just uh, giving nods to all of the creatives, uh, mentioning, mentioning excuse me, the other books, and then throwing out a mention for Pacific Comics Elric. Pacific Comics may be one of the next uh, companies that I look at. I'm not sure. There's a lot of books out of Pacific, so I'd have to narrow down a particular title to look at or something like that. Maybe I'll look at Gru or something. I don't know. We'll see. The next page, but that won't be what I talk about after Capital. After Capital, I already know what I'm going to talk about. A company put out five books, roughly. I have them, so that'll be that'll be the next chapter in the story of the podcast. First page, The Day the Comics Fell by Mike Barron Story, pencils Rick Burchett, inks by Dennis Wolf, colors by Les Dorscheid, letters by Mary Pulliam, just to finish the creatives. Picture of Ham the Weather Wizard here, a uh, headshot with uh, upraised hand giving a gesture and energy nim nimbusing off the fingers. Now our first panel continues the fight from the previous issue. We have Badger and Yeti fighting with Yak, Ham, Jabberwock, and Daisy watching. Several large thooms and fighting frames and whatnot. Yeti succumbs to the more powerful badger, and before he can rejoin the fight, the Yak stops him and indicates to the Yeti, this is not getting us anywhere. This is not what we're here for. This is not who we're here for. Let's take off, regroup, and we'll will reassess. If you remember from last issue, Yak and Yeti are from the old world, uh, our old world, and have come to beseech Ham to not use his 
magics anymore in that Ham originally is from the old world. Uh, his origin story ongoing as the second story in these issues, including this one. So we'll get to that here in a little bit. Uh, the beginnings of his origin story, rather. Uh, his magics are wrecking havoc with barriers between our dimension and another. Uh, according to Yeti and Yak, we haven't necessarily seen that, but I'm sure it will play out as our story continues. We have some flirting here between Jabber and Miss Daisy. Uh, Jabber and Ham and Badger, or excuse me, uh, Jabber and Badger decide to go out for drinks. Uh, they take Jabber's Ferrari which he has from playing the stock market, we find out. Uh, in his day venture, he is a, an economics teacher, but he does play the market, and that's how he's managed to get a Ferrari. Roll up on a biker bar and go inside. Um, I'm not sure why it started this way. I guess Jabber just wanted to, I don't know, but he starts a fight with the bikers in here. And... Uh, Things are going pretty smoothly as far as the fighting. Badger gets involved. Of course, Badger is a master of, uh, like, kind of all martial arts, whereas Jabber is just a master of Jabber walking, I think, is the martial arts that he practices. I'm not sure what that is. I don't think it's for real either. That's from a, a story, Jabber walking, the Bandersnatch, Alice in Wonderland, maybe? So uh, there's one particular drawing here of Jabber roundhouse kicking an individual, and it looks really bad, uh, not to be too mean about it, but it, it did not work. The rest of the fight scenes look pretty decent until finally um, the biker chick, her name is Belinda, uh, breaks a bottle over Jabber's head and causes everybody to stop momentarily. Jabber makes a joke, and then all the bikers realize somehow that this was all just a joke. Jabber pays for everyone's drinks, uh, and we're all just having a good time. Badger, Jabber, Belinda, let's see, um, who else is named here? Whiskey Jack. Uh, the biker gang is rock, is uh, Satan's Rockwangs. Uh, Whiskey Jack is one of them. Mangy Milt is another. Belinda is the biker chick. While they're here in the bar, they see news on the TV above the bar of a uh, preacher, Crusader Grabbit, who is denouncing comic books. And in his speechifying that he's doing here, he holds up a copy of American Flag and has in his hand a rolled up copy of Cerebus as examples of the books that are bad, that are killing America. While also watching this new show are Yak and Yeti from their hotel room uh, somewhere in Madison, Wisconsin. And so after a little bit of freshening up, Yak brushing his hair, they decide to go to Crusader Grabbit's uh, crusade grounds where he's beseeching all the people and parents of Madison to bring all their comic books. They're going to pile them up and they're going to burn them. So we have a gathering, we have a stage here, and we have a huge pile of comic books. Now, in 1983-84, I would love to have access to that pile of comic books. There would have to be some killer books in there. But uh, Ham and Badger are sitting on a hill here overlooking, watching everything with a little picnic basket and some uh, grapey libations here from Ham. Badger doesn't drink. And uh, Ham, Ham's having a good time watching. Yak and Yeti go to talk to the preacher, but 
the people's side with the preacher when called to pick a side, the preachers or uh, yaks, protestations. And uh, yak and yeti are stoned out of the way. They run away under a hail of rocks. Next up, it's Ham's turn. Ham goes up to the preacher and offers him $10,000 for the pile of comics. And the preacher accepts. Ham uses his powers and gathers a windstorm to scatter the comic books. Uh, In the midst of his magics, he burns up the pile of cash that he gave the preacher. So the preacher has nothing, no money, no comics, nothing. They go on their happy way. Uh, Badger and Ham, Yak and Yeti go on their happy way, although not too far because they're still going to be hounding Ham, the weather wizard, I'm sure. And the preacher swearing vengeance, asking where are the comic books. And we have a scene of downtown, I would assume it's downtown Madison, with comic books falling from the sky and kids running around gathering them up, sitting in the road to read them, just whatever they can to get a hold of them. That would be me. I'd be running around and gathering up everything I could. I could read them later. I can read them anytime, but I'd get as many as I could. And so that ends the first story. The second story, Where in Hell Ham Came From, scripted by Mike Barron, penciled and inked by Jeff Butler, colored by Les Dorscheid, and lettered by Mary Pulliam. Uh, now, this is occurring in 379 A.D., the hill country of northern Wales, and Mr. Butler's pencils and inks and Les Dorscheid's colors knock this story out of the park. They're imagining of the hill country of northern Wales is just beautiful. This this could be used in any number of comics. The people, the building, it's just, this is awesome artwork. I really, really enjoyed this story. But we see a young boy born healthy to Megan. Uh, when dad is looking at the boy, he sees that on his right peck, there is a birthmark in the symbol of, to me, it looks like the same badger's claw that's on the front of badger's uniform. And maybe, you know, in part, that's the connection between the two. Uh, Later on, somebody says that it's the symbol of a dragon. Let's say, what does he see here? Bears the sign of his totem. It's the claw of the great northern dragon. And someone else says, uh, silly wizard, tis the print of a woodland's badger. So, uh, interpreted three different ways here. But the husband sees the mark of the demon, devil, dark forces, whatever, on the boy. And so he carries the boy to a henge and leaves him on a table rock at the henge. Going back, he tries to convince his wife that he did the right thing. Ultimately, the wife says, you know, either I cut your balls off or you go get my son back, uh, essentially, is what she said. So he goes and uh, after however much time, finds the boy still on the table rock on the hinge and, and lifts him up, stands on the hinge and lifts him up, glad that he found him because he doesn't want to lose his genitals, of course. And it's in the midst of a storm and a huge lightning bolt comes down and strikes the man in the forehead and just absolutely incinerates him, leaving only his skeleton that gets fused and frozen in the holding the child above his head shape. Early the next morning, uh, someone comes up and will say that he is more of a wizardly sort and sees this statue of the skeleton, in essence, with this boy held above its head. And he he gets the baby. The baby's fine. Uh, But the dude has one of those pointy wizards kind of hats. And he's got a staff with a uh, the end of the staff looks like a, a head 
carved into wood of something, some sort of alien head or, or animal head, something like that. So this this new person, this wizard, uh, grabs the child who we now see um, from one of his hands is nimbusing energy of green and orange color, uh, green and pink coloration here mixing together. It's trailing away kind of like smoke, but it's not smoke. Um, so I don't know, maybe the combination of that. Well, we see here that the lightning bolt that struck and killed the man coruscated between the boy's two upreached hands, too. So maybe it, it combined with whatever genetically or mystically was part of the boy and gave him his powers ultimately. And that's why his one hand, and it's he's extending the two middle fingers of his hand like he did uh, as a grown-up in the title page image that we saw. I didn't describe that very well, but it's it's the, sim, the same um, hand sign that he's giving here. The wizard walks on and gives the child to a woman. He s- names the boy Hama Gleist, and then there's like 27 other letters after that. So we see where Ham comes from. It's a shortened version of his given name. The wizard and woman then decide to raise the child. That's that's what we get. End of this portion of the origin. Ham is a child. Um, the the mother um, is able to nurse the baby. So she recently has had a child that's died or through some sort of magics. Uh, she's a wet nurse, but she's able to nurse the child. And, and so they're able to raise it. We have a an uh, Ohatmu type entry for the badger here on the next page. Real name, occupation, identity, origin, height, weight, all that kind of stuff. Next page is a full-page ad of all the other books that you can get from Capital Comics. Next page is an ad for the next issue of Badger, entitled Dogfight. We're told the fur really flies when the badger brings his own pedigree glout hound to a dogfight. Plus, beautiful women, mistaken identities, and feats of legerdemain to mystify and astound you all in Dogfight. Badger number four on sale in 60 days. And we're told that Butler returns. So Jeff Butler is coming back as the artist. Uh, he wasn't able to do it this time because of uh, timing issues. I think he, he didn't have the time to do everything, all the work that he had. So the pencils and inks for this issue went to Burchett and Wolf. Uh, next page is an ad for three really cool posters that they're selling. 11 by 19 for four bucks each. One of Whisper, one of Nexus, and one of Badger. Those would be pretty cool now to have because those are uh, so old and everything to have those in good shape uh, on display. That would be cool. Next page is an ad for Black and White Nexus number three because it contains the Flexi Disc, uh, the first in ever recorded human history forever, forever. Two pages of letter pages. Nothing jumps out except another letter by T.M. Maple. Um, I believe he was made famous in the letters pages for Nexus, T.M. Maple. Nexus portfolio advert inside of the back cover is black and white for Nexus number six on sale in February. And the back page is an advert for Whisper number two in full color on sale in January. So we can assume, let's assume that this badger came out in January. Also on sale in January is Whisper, and next month will be, February, will be Nexus. So everybody is 60 days, so one month is Nexus, and the next is 
Badger Whisper, if all the gears, if the machine is working correctly, it looks like. Um, overall, the uh, the story for Badger is is got my interest. The Yak and Yeti characters are interesting. Ham, um, I don't know. Ham has some room to kind of grab my interest. The butler art for the Ham story is just outstanding, like I said. Um, I didn't remember Jeff Butler's art for Badger number two striking me in the same way. I'll have to go back and look at that. But this this artwork, I guess because it's compared to Burchett and Wolf's art, which is not bad. Um, you know, I'm not saying theirs is bad. Um, but it's just of a style that the style of Jeff Butler I appreciate more personally. So art is very subjective. You know, you like what you like and you don't like what you don't like. No, no smashing on anybody who does or doesn't agree. I just happen to like Jeff Butler's art. The story itself uh, for Badger, like I said, it, it still has got my interest. Last issue um, I said, or last episode I said that Nexus, my interest was starting to wane a little bit. You know, I was kind of questioning why Nexus was held in the esteem that it is. Uh, I'll give it some time, but I mean, I've given it, what, five, eight issues? And it's it's just not, the first three issues grabbed me, but this the second volume so far, these five issues, they're just not of the same caliber, I don't think, is that first volume. So next time out, looks like I have scheduled Whisper issue number two to talk about. Let me take a gander here. Yes, Whisper number two will be what we talk about next time. And so I will talk about that with you next time. If you do want to get in touch with me, uh, Teal Productions on Facebook. Teal Productions on Twitter. I am Indie Man, I-N-D-I-E, Indie Man, at gmail.com is the email address. And comicbooknoise.com slash Tango November Charlie, TNC, is the website if you want to leave comments there. All viable places. Probably the quickest and most sure that I will see it is on Twitter. Uh, I understand that doesn't leave much room for length, but uh, it is where I stay most of the time. I'll see the email, but it might take me a little bit of time to get around to discussing that if that's what you want me to do on the show. Whisper number two next time. Talk to you guys then. Ciao.